better or worse, the relationship between science, film, and media has long been intertwined. We're here to dissect that relationship, turning it inside out for all to see. And throughout the years, one truth has revealed itself. You don't need good science to make a good movie. But it sure makes it better. Hi everyone and welcome to the Real Science Cast, the podcast where three highly qualified professionals pick a movie and pick apart the science. My name's Kenan Smith. Sean, you okay? My name's Sean Crossan. <laughs> I'm Wow, I was trying to say who I was. Sorry, Sean. I'm sorry, Pace. Go ahead. I'm Michael Pace. Um and I'm very happy to be here. Today. I you know what? I'm really excited that you're here. Thank you. Happy holidays, boys. Hey, happy holidays. I'm so excited that all of us are here and that mm-hmm. we can all hear each other. Yeah, I mean, last weekend we had a we man, we had a smorgasbord of holidays, didn't we not? We did, we did. So, uh, as all of our faithful listeners know, um, this uh, uh, this episode is going to be airing on. I'm vamping until I can open my calendar. As all of our faithful lit- listeners know, this episode is going to be airing on the 24th of April, and we had just like a bunch of holidays over the weekend that were pretty good i think we should go around in a circle and we should name all the holidays that happened this weekend i'll go first uh friday is good friday okay okay um saturday is 420 what why is what is special about april 20th yeah what's what do you oh um well this Mm. is awkward uh (laughs) well sean if there's if there's some secret holiday that you know about that we don't i think it would would you it's, please um, share it with yeah, us? Yeah, postdoctoral associate at University of Florida. Can you <laughs> can you please let us know what's happening? Here? Well, I don't actually celebrate. You know, it's not part of my religious background. I just, uh, I, yeah, you know, sure, I sure, saw sure, it sure. on the interweb, and apparently, okay. it's a day where people just um, they just smoke a lot of jazz cigarettes. Oh my goodness! Wait, yeah. so you're saying they like Jesus. people just like they they turn the other bud, so to speak? Um, wow, this is not a my Christian podcast. Hashtag not um, my Christian podcast. I was I was um, going to say that I'm excited to celebrate Lima being respect day, but you came in here with is, yeah, but like this, edamame is, is 420 is much, Lima being respect day much better. <laughs> but on whose authority, Kenneth? It's also it's also National Pineapple Upside Down Cake Day, so I guess oh, like good. that's the perfect fucking day for also to smoke weed. Well, I guess you know why, Kenan? is because someone was looking at a bowl of lima beans and a pineapple upside down cake, and they were like, "I'm gonna need to be fucking high to get through this. Shit. <laughs> yeah, need to get through this." It's just also like, National Cheddar Fries Day, so I guess this is just like what trash the- food and drugs. What kind of fucked up dinners are people eating where it's I just lima beans, cheddar fries, and pineapple upside down cake? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I've, I've heard that the ganja can induce some pretty deviant behavior, so who knows yeah. what they're eating. Where are you finding this information? I do also want to say the third Saturday in April is also Husband Appreciation Day, so I oh. think we can all expect some super wow. nice gifts That's from so sweet. our significant others. I'm sure our wives know all about that. I'm actually, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm probably going to come home from work. Never mind. It's Saturday. I'll probably wake up. Mm-hmm. Uh, to a nice like lima bean breakfast. Yep. And yeah, maybe a some, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> cheese fries, maybe a pineapple upside quiche. down cake. And I was thinking some, maybe some lima beans on toast. If, or like a uh, big pile of weed. <laughs> 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 or maybe weed on toast. Yeah. 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 So just some really good eddies. An amalgam of all the holidays. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but hold on, guys. It's not just 420. What's after 420? Oh, it's your turn. Sean did the weed one. Um, the one after that, I think that's a Sunday, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. that's correct. That would be April 21st. That would be e- the good old Easter Sunday that we have. Oh, um, yeah. And this is on the, this is on the same day every year, uh, because they make sure it's consistent. So mm-hmm. Easter happens on the same day every year, uh, and it's to mark a very important historical event that definitely happened on the same day every year. <laughs> guys. <laughs> guys. Guys. Yes. Hey, guys. Wait, sorry. What what is Sunday also, Kenan? April April twenty first is National Keep Off the Grass Day. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so that's definitely a coincidence that it falls on Easter. <laughs> right? National Curmudgeon Day. 
It's also <laughs> National Not Skateboarding on the Sidewalks Day. Yeah, it's literally all all the olds were like, oh, all of these teens are smoking pot on the 20th. Well, we're staying off the grass now. <laughs> I didn't even fuck. Yes. <laughs> so wait, hold on, hold on. What's oh. the, what's your source, Ken? It's also National Big Tan with Pineapple Day. I'm really why, worried why based that so- Kenan has not answered our question where he's getting this from twice. What's your source, Ken? Sean, can you do Monday? Our last one? Uh, yeah, it's good Monday. Kenan, where are you getting these things from? <laughs> why, what makes the Monday good? So, for those of you who are wondering, this is a podcast where we watch uh, movies that are science adjacent or have maybe even a little bit of science in them, and then we talk about some of that science and try and explain it or debunk it. Uh Hence, uh, pick a movie and pick apart the science. But uh, before we get into the movie that we covered today, which was uh, Blade Runner, the old one, not the new one with uh, Handsome Gosling in it, uh, Pace normally performs services for me and Sean. Um, and oh, for gross. <laughs> Sorry, that was, that was so not really the way bad. that. You did yeah. a bad job. <laughs> It's Let me... not a service if you don't pay me. Oh, so. God. You're both... Okay, hold on. Stop so the podcast. You're a volunteer. Kenan, where are you getting this fucking like, information about Lima Bean Well, he gets I the fucking from me, Sean. I thought that was clear. Do you think you could do the disclaimers for our, oh, for our bet, listeners? Bitch. Yeah, you I think that we should really, we should really re- record these <laughs> and put them at the, at the beginning of the episode. Yes, so this is a podcast where mm-hmm. um, we... Three highly qualified doctors of philosophy or PhDs mm-hmm. um, will analyze some of the science in some of your favorite films uh, in order to give you just a new and fresh perspective as to how accurate the science is. But we record this podcast late at night, so you might uh, witness some unsavory language, some uncouth language that comes from our mouths. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not for your children, so put them to bed, winky. And um, just, I don't think we have any content warnings for, for there, there is a scene in Blade Runner, a content warning where Harrison Ford is a little aggressive uh, with, a, with a female robot that yeah. uh, might make some people uncomfortable. He does, in essence, force himself upon her, but with the movie presumption that he's trying to teach her how to love in a very, like, supposed to be sexy 70s forceful type way yeah oh yeah for sure for sure 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 yeah sure. it's not it happened and i was like oh it's not good but this it's not this. the worst you know it's it's, like, not, it's not the worst i've seen in a movie worst. but it's not the, good yeah, yeah it would kind of like be trying to teach a robot how to like have empathy or uh, other types of emotions which um, we've been trying to do for almost a year and a half and by god sean and i have not been successful no not at all but it's not for your lack of effort, though, to That's be true. fair. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I have a disclaimer. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. The first 10 minutes of, the, of every podcast are unlistenable. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. That's the well, only time just, we say anything funny. You're right. They're not. It's not that they're unlistenable. It's just that they're... It's like a mini podcast within a podcast. We're just breaking like, the ice. Checking in on lima beans, you know? It's the, the most important part of the podcast because it's it's like the... In order to get started with talking about science, we have to talk until Sean becomes so frustrated that he forces us to move on to the next section. You're right. It's like a formula that we have. And it works every time. It does. Do we want to get into it? Yes. Let's do it. Should we roll some bones? Let's roll some fucking dice, Guess what? My die is in the office. (laughs) Okay, go go get it. I'm going to... Oh, yeah? Oh, he's still there. I wonder if his (laughs) microphone's picking any of this up. Yeah, he's... Are you coming back? I think I think he's got it. Okay, yeah, you got it. Is it I you and me rolling? Ready. I'm assuming. Hey, listeners. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, wait. Fuck. I did the plot last time. <laughs> Very good. All right, Pace. Very good. Let's do this. All right. So lowest roll wins? Yes. Lowest roll yes. wins. Oh, Kenan. Sorry, dude. Did you roll a 20? I rolled a two. Damn. Ooh. All right. I rolled a 10. Yeah, two is literally the best one. It is. Okay. I'm fucking ready for this. All right. I got my plot pulled up. I remember all of the movie 100% for sure. I'll do the uh, 80s like synthesizer music while you're describing, okay? God, it was so 80s. I'll be back. Okay. I'll be in the background like, all right, go ahead, Kevin. Get you got it. Okay, so we open up on the 2002 World Winter Sport Games. 
Uh, specifically, we've got the Rival Men's Single Skaters. Uh, one of them, Chaz Michael Michaels, played by uh, Will Ferrell. Uh, he's like... The, the movie establishes really early on that Will Ferrell is like the sexy one. Hey, between Kenan, the sorry, two of them. I just realized you're Kenan. saying Will Ferrell. I don't think he was in this movie, Kenan. <laughs> hey, Kenan, are you on the right plot synopsis webpage? Are you oh, on the right no, hold on. website? This is... Hey, Kenan, what movie did you watch? This is Blades of Glory. Give me one sec. Oh. oh. <laughs> okay. A lot of science in that one. Sorry, 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 sorry. Um, all right, so uh, we open up <laughs> on the Syrian desert. Uh, where we have a group of vampires uh, Ooh, going to investigate. Yeah. Um, just kind of. Hey, uh, what, what what page movie? are you open to now? What are you watching? This one had uh, Wesley Snipes, Jessica Biel, Ryan Reynolds. Mm-hmm. Oh, those are all very attractive people. Oh. Wrong movie. Oh, this is Blade Trinity. Hold on. <laughs> Which is uh, free on Amazon Prime <laughs> because it popped <laughs> up when I was googling Blade Runner. I almost watched that instead of uh, Blade Runner. Okay. <laughs> I was thinking um, about it too. So in Blade Runner, the one that was made in 1982, not the one starring uh, Ryan Gosling, we've got Harrison Ford, who plays a former police officer named Rick Deckard. Rick Deckard. 2019, current day, Los Angeles, where crime runs the streets. It doesn't actually, the police do a pretty decent job, I guess, of arresting pretty much everyone in sight in this fucking Mm -hmm. movie. Yeah. Um, Which isn't doing a good job, I guess, but either way. I don't really remember how the movie starts out, but the important thing is that Harrison Ford is our gruff former police officer. He has been brought in by his former boss because... Actually, oh yeah, in the opening scene, we had a guy come into what we later find out is the Tyrell Corporation, which is this big, like, scoopy, uh, spooky, science-based, like, super corporation. I did say scoopy, yes. Yeah, very scoopy. Scoopy. (laughs) Scoopy as hell. And... (laughs) One the one of the people who we see in this opening scene is performing what we later learn is called a uh, what kind of test pace? You got this. The Voigt Kampf. That's right, the Voigt Kampf test, and th- this is effectively, and we'll talk about it a little bit later, the Turing test of this movie. Rick Deckard is informed that, and we get to see the person he is interviewing when he is asked the first question, which is supposed to elicit an emotional response. It does uh, because that character, whom we find out as a replicate, shoots the guy in the chest. Uh, and once his former boss explains all this to him, he says, the point is, is that we have four replicants, which are these androids produced by the Tyrell Corporation, uh, for things like slavery, uh, war, a bunch of off-world stuff in general, uh, have snuck down from Mars? Is that it? <laughs> just off-world. They off-world? Keep calling it yeah, just off-world. Okay, cool. Yeah, so they steal a, uh, a ship and they come down to Earth. Uh, Rick Deckard's job used to be to hunt down these illegal replicants and quote unquote retire them. And by retire, I mean shoot a lot in a public street. Um, <laughs> Deckard right. says, "I don't. I, I'm not. That's not me anymore." Or something, something like that. I and, gave up uh, that life. <laughs> yeah, that's, I'm not, that's not my the, life. You got the wrong guy. You got the wrong guy. Um, I'm Dick Record. I'm too old for this shit. <laughs> Sounds like a. Ford star name. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> uh, his old boss, whose name is Bryant, I don't remember who play, uh, who actually plays him, but he threatens him really, really ambiguously. I don't remember what he said to him, but he was kind of like, uh, <laughs> he said something to the effect of like, scary streets out there would be a shame <laughs> if something happened. And Decker was like, damn you. And so he stays. He watches this video that we got to see at the beginning where his former colleague, the guy's name was Holden, tries to administer this test. He gets shot. Uh, by the test subject, whose name is Leon. Uh, And then, basically, he's told by his supervisor, Bryant, that he wants Deckard to chase down Leon, the dude in the video, and three other Tyrell Corporation replicants. And all of these replicants are of the same model, which are referred to as Nexus 6. So we've got Roy Batty, Zora, and Pris. And I think Roy Batty's the only person that really sticks out in here. He's played by Rutger Hauer. So basically, long story short, he goes, uh, Brian initially goes with, um, or sorry, Deckard initially goes to see uh, Eldon Tyrell, who is the founder and CEO of the Tyrell Corporation. And again, we see like this Tyrell Corporation is basically this giant monument in the middle of the city. It takes up most of the skyline. It's like a huge pyramid. 
and when he first meets Eldon Tyrell, he's this like extravagant, you know, wild millionaire who dresses in weird clothes, lives in that house. Big uh, ass glasses. Yeah, huge glass. There's they're smart guy glasses. Is what Elton they are. John they're- would think his glasses are too big. <laughs> yeah, but they're like Elton John glasses, but they're also progressives. Um, yeah. <laughs> yes. True. So basically, he goes to meet uh, Dr. Tyrell in order to administer the test on a Nexus 6 to see if it works in the first place. So uh, to carry out this Voight Comps test, ask a lot of questions that are supposed to elicit a, an emotional reaction, and they can monitor you know, eye movements, iris movements, things like that. Uh, and Tyrell says, well, you should first try this on my assistant, Rachel. Uh, Deckard apparently goes on for much longer than normal and concludes that Rachel is indeed a replicant, but does not say anything to Rachel herself Tyrell asks her to leave the room, and Tyrell's like, oh, she's an experiment. We've embedded her with false memories in order to provide a quote-unquote emotional cushion. So Rachel effectively thinks she's real. So far, so good? Yeah, yep. dude. That's pretty good, and it's really gnarly. It's gnarly as hell. Hell yeah. So I, I did want to mention real quick, Kenan, the Ooh. reason that oh. they're hunting the Nexus 6 generation is because they've been made illegal, because they were considered to be, like, dangerous because uh, apparently some of them right. had rebelled well, and they, killed some yeah, people. Yeah, they started killing humans. Like, yeah, a lot of I humans. couldn't right. remember if it was the Nexus 6 specifically or if it was all replicants. Yeah, it's just the Nexus 6. Got you. Okay, yeah. so sweet. So that explains a lot more, and you did a much better job while I was trying to remember what the fucking movie was about. It's okay. This is probably like the fourth time I've seen this movie, and this is the first time I realized that just the Nexus 6 robots are illegal. And I was like, <laughs> wow, this makes so much more fucking sense. So that there's actually like... I think the idea is that they could be interacting with replicates throughout their day to day, and it's not like a uh, like unusual as long mm-hmm. as they're not from this generation of robots. They're not the specifically the Nexus Six model. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Um. So basically, I I don't want to go back over this entire film because there's a lot that goes on, and then for a very very long time, there's just like shots of a cityscape and Harrison Ford walking around while a quiet saxophone is played. Um, yeah. It's yeah, it's very very like sci-fi noir, but to kind of like shotgun through it really quickly, um, Roy Batty and uh, uh, Leon, the guy that we the first replicant that we see at the beginning, Roy Batty being again played by uh, Rucker Hauer, both of them walk around and they hunt down one guy uh, who is like this this organ organ creator who also apparently worked on some of the replicants, but basically operates like organ manufacturing out of his home it's played played by james hong i believe uh who also plays lo pan in uh, big trouble in little china yeah best movie ever made best movie ever made they hear from him that in order to figure out how they can live forever ever because all of our replicants die within four years or at least the nexus six series we it's confirmed die within four years the only way to figure that out their lifespan when they'll die is to talk to tyrell uh, James Hong tells us the next best person to talk to is a, uh, J, a guy named J.F. Sebastian, who is a genetic designer who works closely with Tyrell. Fast forward, uh, Pris, who is a quote-unquote, what what they say, what was the word? Pleasure unit? Here's your model. Yeah, yeah I fucking right. hated that. Yeah. <laughs> she gets in nice with J.F. Sebastian, goes to his place. Sebastian, who's actually kind of a nice dude, even if, even if he is a fucking weirdo full of in a house that is full of really creepy clown-looking dolls. Fucking robotic clowns that are Hated his friends. It. That's what he says. Hated he made it. them all. They're all his friends. Oh, but he's, friends. At le- he's at least nice to Pris. Uh, so both of them uh, hang out with J.F. Sebastian for a little bit, convince him to take them to meet Tyrell, and they eventually do. Roy kills Tyrell after this like long tirade about what it means to be human and how to live forever. Tyrell says, like, I think as many science and non-science words I've ever seen crammed into a single scene, uh, basically in just one giant quote. About why the Republicans can't live forever. Exactly. Harrison Ford, meanwhile, is trying to track all these guys down. He finds Leon. Leon kicks his ass. Rachel saves him by shooting Leon in the head. They make out when Harrison Ford is really, really weird about it. They essentially fall in love, right? Like They they fall in love within five seconds like yeah. any good JRPG. Yeah, seriously. While uh, Roy is out murdering Tyrell, Deckard shows up at Sebastian's apartment. Pris tries to kill him. Roy kills Pris. Uh, and then, uh, Deckard sorry. Deckard kills Chris. Deckard Pris. kills Pris. Roy shows back up, and then there's like 
45 minutes of Roy being half naked, Deckard trying not to die, and then ends with like both of them fighting each other on a rainy rooftop. Deckard, who is like completely winded, two of his fingers are broken, is about to fall off the top of a roof, and Roy grabs him as he like Roy slowly realizes he's coming to the end of his lifespan, and then he monologues about what it actually means to be human, about how all of his memories will be lost in time, like tears and rain. And then he passes out, and then the dove that he was carrying for some reason in the last five minutes of the movie flies out of his hands. Yeah, I mean, it's very beautiful, symbolic, elegant. Um, everything you could want from the end of a good sci-fi film. Yeah, and I think actually the thing at the very end is that, like, Deckard and Rachel leave town. Yeah. I mean, I assume that's what happens. That's... What was the deal with the with the, with the crane, the the, the uh um, the origami crane. It means his, his bro cop the was end. there, and he didn't didn't kill Rachel because she's on the list of mm-hmm. replicants to be destroyed. Okay, that's and what his I figured. Just cop friend was that. there and was basically like, "Don't worry, bro. I know you're in love with her," and just didn't kill her. Yep, right. and he leaves right. a unicorn on the ground, which is like his calling card, and yeah. it's a unicorn because she's unique. This. <laughs> This mm. is also the final cut oh, version that we watched. There are like a million different versions of Blade Runner. There are seven, actually. Okay. A million, there seven, seven, same thing. seven versions. There are seven versions. And uh, the final cut version uh, is the closest to what the director actually wanted because uh, Ridley Scott actually had like the most control over what got put into this version of the movie. Okay. Cool. Okay. Yeah. So that's right. that's Blade Runner. Um, I did Great job, uh, anywhere from a good job to a bad job recapping that. Great job. Yeah, I mean, the overall point of the movie is is that basically, you know, Harrison Ford is a really, really good cop dude who's who's able to track down all these bad robots. But, you know, at the end, it doesn't matter because what mm-hmm. is a robot and what is a human? Well, right. I like think we, some of the underlying subtext of the plot also that is sort of like a highly debated thing about Blade Runner is that because we find a replicant like Rachel who has yeah. memory implants and doesn't know she's a replicant and is not enslaved, you know, she's like working she's, a job. She's basically human. She's basically human. That also begs the question, like, are there other people in the movie that think they're human, but are actually replicants, AKA yeah. potentially like the Blade Runner, Harrison Ford. That's like, a pretty big fan fiction thing mm-hmm. that Harrison Ford is actually a replicant. Isn't that like part of the fucking plot for uh, Blade Runner 2029? Oh, yeah, yeah. He is in, well, I don't want to spoil 2029, I guess, because we haven't watched it, but spoiler alert. 2049. He like, he is a replicant. Oh, okay. And All a right, well, 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 I that's said spoiler a big alert. Spoiler. <laughs> no, I mean, well, I mean, Ryan Gosling. I don't know about um, Harrison Ford, but oh, in 2029, okay, 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 okay. he is a Blade gotcha. Runner and he's a replicant. So, got you. So in the 1982 version, it's been confirmed from the director and a couple other people in an article that I read that it was fully intended for Harrison Ford's character to be human and to not be right. That's why I replicant. I mean, I said fan fiction. Yes. Well, and you I'd know, pref- fans I'm already sure, for sure. not to know that. You know, just like left it up, up in the air. But hmm. yeah, but that's not what we do in this podcast. We're here, we're all about cold hard facts on this podcast. Yeah, cold, I don't hard like it. Facts. It's a cold hard fact that for whatever reason, Rachel fell in love with Deckard, a person who has been shooting robots for years. Yeah, that doesn't make much sense to me. Um, hey, life finds a way. Hey, life what? finds a way. Science is just magic. Is just science we don't understand yet. That's correct. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, Including the love true. between a robot and a human. Do you guys want to talk about some actual science? Yeah, I was going to say, I sense that we're all just kind of talking because we're <laughs> hesitating to get into the actual science <laughs> of the movie. But I guess we should do it. Pace, I thought you had a good idea of some of the concepts we should discuss in this movie, science-wise. Yes. Because I think in the actual film, like we all kind of discussed, there's not a lot of science to critique. But mm-hmm. I think the plot as a whole has a lot of social science implications we can discuss. For sure. Yeah, I mean, there's not a lot of hard science in the film. Most of the film is uh, a very, it's it's really just like (laughs) smushy, gushy science, medium rare science. The yeah, the movie is is mostly just a um a a dark dystopian version of L.A. in which there is no daytime, there is only nighttime, and there is only rain. Um, (laughs) There is only rain in this movie. (laughs) Yes. but aside from that, I think the first thing that might have some time, some scientific relevance to 
Today is uh, the, the, the Voigt-Kampf test, which uh, are, is used in the movie to identify a replicant based upon evoking targeted emotional responses. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, again, the way they basically do this is they kind of ask a series of questions or present uh, an individual with certain situations, which are designed to make them feel a certain way, and then they would then uh, measure heart rate, pupil dilation, sweating, uh, other phys- physiological responses that are an indicator of emotion. And the key point here is that the emotions are supposed to be things that the replicants are not capable of feeling. And that's what separates them from the humans, despite their near human uh, appearance and behavior. Mm-hmm. And also, like uh, yes. to your point, one thing that differentiates differentiates this from uh, something that we've actually covered before on one of the previous episodes when we did Ex Machina, uh, the Turing test, which is classically used as or, or propounded as an artificial intelligence test, the idea that you know can a computer convince a human by answering questions that it is also a human? Uh, the Voigt-Kampf test is done strictly through the assistance of this machine that we see a couple of times in the movie. Uh, and in the press kit that, w- that came out in 1982, uh, you already mentioned the fact that it monitors the uh, contractions of the iris muscle and, and all this, but also theoretically, I don't know if you guys remember this like bellows that was seen on the machine earlier yes. on in the movie, and it yes. like hissed and, and moved up and down. But apparently this machine is also supposed to quote-unquote monitor the presence of of invisible airborne particles emitted from the body. Hey, that's not real. What? <laughs> what does that mean? What do you mean? Thank you, Doctor Crossan. <laughs> what does that? What does that fucking mean? Invisible airborne particles? I have. I have no idea. I what, maybe what would be like, sweat. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh look, there's know. air coming off this person. <laughs> we we can't shit on the movie for that though because it was literally not said in the movie. They just show us this like hissing camera that focuses on the eye. And that's it. So no, but I did wonder what that was for. Yeah, that's the entire time in the movie, I, I saw no purpose for it based on what the test was trying to accomplish. Yeah, but I I do think I mean I guess if we had to equate it to something like yes, it'd be the Turing test. But the the variables that are measured mm-hmm. between the two are completely different because how do you mean the because the Turing test is a test based upon a machine's ability to exhibit like intelligent behavior. Uh, mm-hmm. That would be in, indistinguishable to that of a human, uh, and it's done through just like generating human-like responses to, to like to questions like like verbal questions, mm-hmm. and it, like 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 a personality sort of test. Whereas this uh, Voigt, this fictional Voigt Kampf test measures physiological responses that would be the result of a specific emotion. Yeah, and and specifically, they're looking for empathy. Empathy. Yes. Yeah. And, and I, I don't think, based on my understanding of the Turing test, I, I don't think that they're looking for empathy. No, um, I agree. The the it, I mean, it could be a thing, but yeah, I think it could be a factor. But as you factor, mentioned, yes. the 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 point of the Turing test is it, it literally the instrument or the machine has to convince a uh, uh, an interrogator that they are in fact a uh a, a, another human i think like the standard interpretation of the turing test is that you actually have computer a person b and then interrogator c and then it's done blind and right. c person c asks questions of computer a and person b they get responses and they are supposed to determine which one is a human and which one's not yeah i mean like one is the turing test seems like it's based on the perception of the observer and yeah, this is based on the physiology of the actual machine yeah and i think it's also implied that that the the person performing the test is supposed to give some sort of informed like estimation of whether or not that that person is in fact a uh a replicant or not because i think it's implied in the movie that decker is really really good at it um yeah and that's one of the reasons he figures out that rachel is in fact a replicant and and not anything else well, and it took like three times as many questions yep. as it normally does for her than it compared to a, a maybe a traditional replicant. But so then I think this kind of begs the question, though, you know, which which test, assuming that they would have, you know, uh, equally valid predictability for determining if uh, a being is a, a robot or not, which test would be better? Which one would you want to be dependent upon mm-hmm. for the detection of a non-human? 
I I personally would think that the voice comp test, if it existed, would be a lot more useful because this test is detecting something that is non-voluntary mm-hmm. of the participant, which is like their their actual biological response to uh, to any given emotion. Well, it's also objective, right? Because like a Turing test is inherently subjective because it's based on the person's like perception. Correct. Exactly. Exactly. And I think someone could be more susceptible to a false positive or or a false negative on a Turing test than they would be on the voice comp test. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. I mean, it seems better. The only issue you get into is like if they make a replicant that can fool the voice comp test, mm-hmm. then... That's then, we're all fucked. Then man. you can't tell, you know. So yeah, yeah. In yeah. this in this fictional universe that is very loosely based on a book uh, that was written in 1968, yes, we're all fucked. Well, well yeah. I mean, we we're all fucked anyway. We so also, I, I don't think yeah, that's it's been raining every day forever, and it's never <laughs> light out. So we're all fucked anyways, right? Oh, so, yes. yes, you're right. Actually, so uh, 2019 Los Angeles in this setting is the same fucking thing as 2019 Durham, North Carolina, from all <laughs> evidence that I can fucking tell. <laughs> I was I was gonna say it looks like New York or something like a really it dreary more like, like New York yeah. winter in New York. So I mean I I think but I I think that's definitely an interesting topic that they bring up in the movie and like and does have a you know a few relevant you know ways that we can kind of can track it to, to mm-hmm. things that are done today. But I think we should move on to the next topic. I did want to say one thing before we leave that yes, behind. Please, and I can be very please. quick about it. Uh, but one thing that I thought was uh, pretty interesting, because as we I mentioned very briefly in a dumb fucking joke, this uh, movie is very loosely based on Philip K. Dick's Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? Yes. Um, but there's actually another test that they administer in that book uh, called the Bonelli Reflex Arc Test. The idea of what they do is they detect responses in uh, ganglial cells in the uh, upper portion of the spinal column, and apparently those responses from those cells are microseconds slower in androids. So if we're looking for something that's like, wow, like again, this is all made up shit, but if we're looking for like empirical data on how the different, how to tell the difference between them, there's no, like there's no error there other than what would be with the instrument. So, huh? Yeah. I thought that was kind of cool. It's also interesting that, I mean, so Kenan, you kind of like sparked this thought in my head now talking about ganglion cells and the Mm -hmm. replicants, they don't really go into in the movie like how replic like what replicants are made of. Yep. You know, yep. and we don't talk about like I mean I've referred to them as machines and robots and stuff, but like mm-hmm. there's nothing saying that they're not biological, you know, like partially biological. Yep. Obviously they are created in a lab. They're not like born. So yeah. it's likely that they're not they're obviously not completely 100 percent human like from that from a normal biological aspect because they're brought into the world a different way but they do look like in the movie when they get shot like some sort of blood like substance comes out of them and everything um for the most part the responses are kind of expected like they, they behave a lot like humans except for they did demonstrate a like lack of pain perception with like hot mm-hmm. or cold objects. Yeah, they did. Uh, uh, what's her name? Pris uh, at one point reaches her hand into a uh, boiling beaker for some reason of oh, eggs. That's how you boil eggs in the future. Yeah, in the future you boil <laughs> yeah, your clearly. eggs in a giant fucking beaker. <laughs> Listen, this guy had a bunch of clown robot friends, so like that's I don't, true. I don't. I, yeah, he was I'm not that terrifying. surprised. Um, I, I do want to say, like, before we move on to like the, we're, we were talking about the personality aspects of like the tests and everything, and and like, it it was very very apparent, only near the end of the movie, whenever like Pris and Roy really just kind of go off the deep end, uh, where it becomes like clear that there's something off about them, and you would kind of know that they are not human. Yeah. Uh, mostly just regarding their comp- their complete disregard for like human social norms just like in general mm-hmm. as to like what normal behavior is and i think that it comes like they're just their un- lack of understanding of of human emotion and i guess being on their deathbed yeah, because they're I think about that's to expire the main thing is they know that they're about to die so they're yeah. like yeah. making rash decisions because they are know they're on a time crunch yes i think yes. that's more likely but and i guess they're doing it to be creepy in the movie yeah um, yeah but, but, but yeah but 
what I was saying with the uh, their pain perception, right? So like, yes, yes. Du- what's his name? Duncan also freezes his hand. Is that his name, Duncan? Something no, like that? it's Leon. What's his name? Leon. Oh, yeah. I'm gonna call him Duncan. Whenever he's going to get <laughs> the Dunstan um, from Dunstan checks in. Yeah, the, it's Dunstan. The, the eye organ that was being preserved. Yeah, right? he sticks right. his um, hand into like what liquid nitrogen or something. It's something more cold. or less. Yeah. But when they get shot, they also look like they're in pain. So I don't know. It's just interesting to me. Like they're supposed to be like humans in every way. And it's really weird that you would not like program in a response to like intense hot and cold stimuli. Yeah. Never mind that. Hmm. Like, uh, obviously there's a variety of reasons why, uh, human beings have nerve endings such as those that transmit pain. But one of them is for preservation of biological tissue. Right. Uh, so, one of the reasons that you know uh, evolutionarily speaking we evolved the ability to touch something hot and go ow fuck it's because if you just kept touching it you would burn your fucking hand off so the idea would be to put them into androids so that they don't destroy themselves without being aware of it or because it doesn't hurt right like it's i mean they're clearly not indestructible because bullets go right through them Mm -hmm. (laughs) but like I just, yeah, that was a little, like, inconsistency, I think, in the movie. But it was, I mean, I get they were using it as, like, a ability to demonstrate that they are replicants because they look so much like humans. But it seems inconsistent with how a replicant is supposed to function. And not only that, but to your point, I would say that, like, um, and because we could hand this hand wave this away by saying like, oh, you can change how you would code that sort of perception in androids. But theoretically, and at least according to the movie, uh, these androids are composed entirely of organic material. So, I mean, you know, you mentioned this earlier. They look like they bleed, yada, yada, yada. But they're, according to the movie, made up of cells just like everyone else. It's just that it is produced through a, quote, synthetic process. Yeah. And cells have physical limitations. <laughs> like, you yes. can't boil them. Like, exactly. they'll die. So, <laughs> yes. yeah, that is something I just... Cool. What else we got? Well, Kenan, I thought that as an interesting, you know, happenstance, this movie is set in 2019, and it happens to be 2019 this it year. Is. So I That's figured right. we might want to go through and, you know... This isn't exactly science related, but talk about some of the technology that's portrayed as futuristic in the movie mm-hmm. and what actually lines up with what we have today. Yeah, I actually really like that idea. Yeah, right? Like, I don't know. I mean, the obviously, I think from our perspective, because we weren't alive when the movie came out, right? Um, the stuff that is not realistic stands out a lot more to us because we are we just have 2019 as a reference point. Right. <laughs> um, but, I mean, I'm going to try my best to maybe think of some things that do seem realistic. Mm-hmm. I think the constant rain and dreariness of L.A. is not realistic. I don't see why the weather not, patterns would change. <laughs> not even a Well, wait, hold on. You don't see why the weather patterns are okay. changed? You're right. I do, okay. but I don't yeah. see why it would just be raining all the time in LA. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't see that. Well, that, and I don't understand how the, the 24-hour light and night cycle would have also somehow changed. Yeah. Because I think it's only daytime once in this movie, and I think it's when they're playing chess inside of um, Sebastian's house, and they're in a dark room anyway, and the sun is coming through a window. And it's very dreary. So I know it's a mood that we're going in the movie, but apparently it's always nighttime. That's because they blocked out the sun to destroy all the replicants because they were using people as human batteries. Yeah, and I think also, like, the movie pretty much implies that, like, uh, through various advertisements and other things, that humanity, for the most part, is actually trying very hard and has, to some degree, successfully uh, left Earth. Uh, because the earth has been ravaged by war, by in, uh, an industrial yeah, landscape. And I mean, it's probably pretty fucked up as far as the light and dark cycle goes. One, because all the buildings are huge and our characters are in different places in this movie. And also, I assume that like the earth is just covered in, in smog. So True. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah, there is definitely like they talk about off-world colonies and leaving the planet and like uh sebastian actually says that like because he has a disease he can't pass the medical exam to get off the planet yeah that's that's why he's still there so it seems like earth is like everybody's plan b like staying on earth is not ideal that's true so in regards to 2019 so far it's pretty accurate (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, like all uh, the cool geez. people are on Mars right now. <laughs> We're just stuck yeah, like, here on it Earth. Just, it's well, it's just Elon Musk. He's he's up there alone. Well, but... I, I, he said cool people. <laughs> nice. All right. Hey, speaking of all Elon right. Musk, uh, one thing that I was actually going to mention is uh, the uh, there are a lot of uh, flying cars in this movie. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, there are. Well, kidding. We already have those. They're called helicopters. Well, yes, you're right. But also, uh, uh, my brain just yeah, reset. Yeah, stick my the landing. Come on, here it comes. Tesla uh, <laughs> is actually working on uh, flying car prototypes, obviously, because again, Elon Elon Musk Musk lives on a different planet. Um, but also, Uber has a scheme to try and eventually create flying taxis effectively they're calling it quote-unquote uber elevate uh and i thought that was kind of interesting so yeah we don't have flying cars but people with far too much money are still trying to make it happen i feel like when everybody talks about what they thought the future was going to be like Mm -hmm. everyone thinks of flying cars and i don't understand why that's like the thing that people are like well in the future you know what we gotta have fucking flying cars. cars it's always two fucking things flying cars them. and jetpacks yeah always it's always like hey you know that thing that we have that actually like works relatively well getting people from place to place what mm-hmm. if we just completely changed it <laughs> like that's right. always yeah. that's always what people pick it's not the stuff that like doesn't work well or is inconvenient it's the stuff that's like you know i mean i guess driving is inconvenient like space wise I mean, if you yeah. could move in three yeah. dimensions it would be different but i was gonna say like it's it's human beings going hey let's invent two new things one traffic patterns in three dimensions two car accidents that involve airplanes <laughs> yeah seriously true it, it's it's an accident waiting to happen i would have liked to have seen further developments and i don't know things like vertical farming uh yeah. or <laughs> or like you know other sort of self-sustainability efforts that are actually now naturally progressing at a good rate. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you can only ask for so much. There's also, like, the giant fucking pyramids yeah. in the middle of yeah. L.A. <laughs> I don't really think those are that, like, efficient of, of yeah, a way I, to... I feel like that's, like, an aesthetic choice of just, like, the, mm-hmm. the fucking overlords were like, it I want to live in a pyramid. Right, yeah, exactly. It, it, it evokes uh, 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 e- Egyptian-type, like, imagery of, of, of pharaohs and people with incredible amounts of power close to gods. Like, as the point of this movie is that, like, science and those who wield it have slowly become gods because it's, like, a household thing, uh, which means those who have the most amount of it or most control over it have the most amount of power. Right. Actually, if I'm being honest with you, I think the thing that was least impressive, and because of that reason, most realistic... Uh, in regards to 2019 technology was what they use for the Voyage Comp test. Yeah, um, okay. I would be- agree with because, that. Because, I mean, that's just like, you know, just me- measuring basic biological responses. We can do that. Mm-hmm. That wouldn't be that hard to try to replicate that tech at all. Uh, the two things that I was going to bring up were uh, uh, Blade Runner did a good job with predicting at least some of the branding that survived into 2019. Uh, we still have things like Coca-Cola. Uh, Budweiser. But... <laughs> Atari and Pan Am are certainly not with us anymore. Yeah, um, sure aren't. But they did also uh, uh, feature strongly in this movie uh, video calling, which is kind of interesting because now like FaceTime and what the fuck we're doing right That's now true. is That's true. staple. Yeah, I did want to talk about that too because like the the setup of him calling from like a bar, it's like a video payphone and like mm-hmm. payphones essentially don't really exist anymore or yeah. aren't used, but video calling is like commonly used now. So I think they, yes. yeah, they kind of like got it 50, 50, right? Like they yeah. basically yeah. took like eighties phone technology and put videos in it. Yeah, exactly. exactly. The one thing I wanted sense. to bring up also was the fucking CSI enhance scene with the photo. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, he's like, so what they did get right is that he's uh, Harrison Ford is working with a like vocally responsive computer, essentially mm-hmm. like it's responding to voice commands. It's not using like manual keyboard inputs or a mouse or anything, but he is doing the full CSI. Like let's take a picture and just keep zooming in on a small spot and the yeah. resolution will be completely fine. Yeah. Like yeah. that is still, that is not a thing that happens because that is like based on the limits of the machine that took the photo. Like, yeah, there's only so many pixels that you get there. You well, know? not only that, but like in, in if, if I remember correctly, 
and or or I would I I don't know my brain was fucked up while watching this. He also gives it instructions to change its perspective by degrees. So the yes. camera literally moves forty five degrees inside of the picture uh, in order to see around an object that was in this original image, which is a definitely not a thing we can do. Yeah, that's just not how it works. Like, that's not yeah, how that's, pictures that's work. That's not how pictures work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, this is not even a digital photo. It's a it's a, it's yeah, a, it's a hard copy. Yeah, it's a hard copy of yeah, a yeah, picture. Exactly. <laughs> v- viewing something that is not there. And it acts like a super uh, high-resolution three-dimensional reconstruction. <laughs> Right. Yeah, it's like right. so. Yeah, they. I think for some of that, you see it, and you're like, "This is so outlandish." But some of it, you're also like, "That is a scanner. Like they did scan a yeah paper image and make a digital image wow. out of it. That is a thing wow. that we have now wow. that we did not used to have." Like, so I think they hit some of it, and then but the potential of everything was like fantastical. Like, oh, think if we could yes. scan a picture and then see from within the picture all around. So. The pictures coming from inside the picture. Yes, but anyway, I, I guess it. we should, we should we should. Well, sorry, I was gonna say we should move on, but you sound like you have something we to sh- say, Kenan. We should move on, probably. No, what else we got? We we need to talk about we need to talk about the crux of this film, and that is at what point, as we're developing AI technology, do we have to worry about these these robots? Um, when should we be concerned about what we're making and the level of humanity within it? That's what I want to talk about. I think that one of our listeners also wants to talk about that pace because a friend of the show, Justin Waterfield, otherwise known as Lunchbox, actually wrote us with a question that says, what distinguishes biological life from artificial life? Which I wanted to read now because I figured we could talk about it as we're discussing this point. Lunchbox. Lunchbox. Thanks for the question, Lunchbox. Thank you very much for the question. Pace, Kenan, do you guys have any thoughts on this? Like, what do we, you know, like Pace was saying, what do we have to think about when creating artificial life and also what distinguishes artificial life and why are we making those distinctions and mm-hmm. how ethically important are they? Hmm. So solve the ethics of artificial life, Kenan, go. Yeah, so I, is this this goes back to, and I'm, this is a discussion I'm sure plenty of people have had before, and I know I certainly have, but I think... This is one of those things that only gets resolved incrementally and because I, I, I don't think this happens inside of a vacuum. I think as artificial intelligence becomes better and better and better and we move towards uh, being able to give that artificial intelligence sentience, the minute we create something that is sentient enough to be like, hey, why can't I buy property? Then that's when we have to start analyzing, oh, maybe robots should be able to buy property and get married and vote etc yeah i mean that's like what happens with most scientific discoveries right like we both work in the gene therapy field yep and like people talk about gene editing and enhancing abilities and stuff but and that was not there are no laws in place for that except now that therapies are getting approved people Mm -hmm. are thinking of like rules and regulations to put in play but you don't really make the regulations until you know the capabilities of the technology and especially in science and i mean you know more even in the 80s uh science over time has evolved in how stringent and how aware and how careful we actually have to be when doing things so one of the most frustrating things as a a scientist uh even now is that the Earth and people in general have a very, very long memory. And early on in science, especially when we think back to like how small molecules were tested and things like that, we were just fucking sticking things in people. Like there weren't as many regulations as as there are now. And I think we've talked about this on the podcast before, but it's one of those things that like, if anything, we've become more and more and more careful on how we develop individual things. And some of the past has come back to haunt us because some things that actually might be safe to investigate or are not, you know, are, are everything only morally objectionable uh, uh, by some people to look at are not as closely looked at because of previous experiences that the public have had just in general with science. Yeah, that's a good point. People like, are more hyper aware of mm-hmm. be making ethically unsound decisions with scientific research. Yeah, and I don't I don't want to get bogged down into that, but I say I say that basically to bring up the point that like that's going to be when when artificial intelligence is the new frontier, that is going to be one of the things that halts progress or slows it down, which I think is fine to agree because a lot of the stuff is uh, or fine to do because a lot of the stuff is slow rolling, but mm-hmm. 
it will be a slow march towards trying to determine, okay, do we give something sentience? Like, we know we can do it now. Is it morally right to just give something sentience and have it have to come to terms with the existence that it's not actually anything like the thing that made it or everything around it? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, for sure. Um, and I just kind of answering the general question, I, I, I really, I do think that once, I think that actually Pris said it in the movie, which is like, I think therefore I am right. Which is like, obviously isn't, isn't a quote from her. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, notice I just said her and not it, right. That is actually a, you know, an insight into this question in and of itself. But, um, mm-hmm. I, I think that, uh, as soon as something, it's my own personal opinion that as soon as something becomes self-aware and aware of its existence, then, you know, at, at that point you basically have to give it the kind of, uh, you know, autonomy and and um, and liberty and rights that you know every other you know conscious being has. Yeah. But that then that also creates complications, like you mentioned, Kenan, which is that you know if it can vote and if it can become a citizen, that is going to really mess up you know uh, the political scene, which is already corrupt anyway. But you know then we have people that are paying to manufacture uh, you know what will effectively be voters to sway elections yeah. um, and, and just opens up a whole a bunch of other can of worms. But that's kind of, those are like side consequences, I suppose. Sure. But yeah, I know um, what you still mean. Like our society is constructed on not having replicants. <laughs> like, yeah. 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 And, and yeah, uh, right. Exactly. And, and exactly. that's that and you're, you're peeling back to kind of like the, the layer of what I was trying to get at as well is that this, the, I think this kind of thing, presents us will present us with problems that we aren't even aware will be problems or right. will be questions that we have to ask ourselves uh and and you actually uh made a good point here when we when you talked about like when something becomes self-aware i think it's one of the tests or one of the things that's most often thought of uh in regards to uh sentience and how things are treated and you know what humans do with them is that like the i guarantee you the cutoff test is going to be not just self-awareness, but what we would define as humans and all of our hubris as human-like intelligence. Because for all intents and purposes, dolphins and chimpanzees have self-awareness and they can't fucking yeah. vote and we keep them in cages and do all sorts of shit. So like, yeah, I, right. it's it, it's one of those things where I think we, it, you know, we don't know where that threshold is until we hit it. And then one day we're going to hit it and go, fuck, we have to figure this out. Yeah. yeah. It, this scenario, I was actually, I'm glad you brought that up, Kenning, because I was thinking the same thing, that there are self-aware animals, and it's yeah. basically like taking a self-aware animal and making it able to communicate with you. Yeah, Which exactly. is like, that is one of the biggest things, is it's hard to empathize with, like, dolphins, because they're so different from humans. Yeah. Like, they live in different environments, they don't speak the same language as us, like... You know, they don't. We don't know if they have similar thought processes because we're limited by our ability to communicate with them. But if you make a replicant, like, I mean, it's very likely that you could develop a serious amount of empathy for it mm-hmm. because yeah. you interact yeah. with it like it's a human. For sure. And I, I mean, I guess if we're like, if we are trying to think uh, um, from kind of a uh, philanthropic point of view, and, and including all life under that that view of philanthropy, the base idea behind how we treat other beings should be that human beings of having higher intelligence to some degree should be taking care of everything else on the planet. If we're, if we're abandoning this idea of survival of the fittest in favor of basically creating life ourselves. And so do we creating life and we creating intelligence, when does it stop being something that we are taking care of and start being something that, should have to take care of itself and we should be treating as equals. And that's going to be a weird fucking gray line uh, if we ever get to that as well. It's also, I mean, it's interesting to pull parallels like this because humans do create life. Like they create other humans. Yeah. So, and we do the same thing with human offspring. Like you take care of them and then there's a point where they Mm -hmm. need to take care of themselves. You shove them out of the nest. It's kind of, I mean, I don't know, Kenan, but I mean, to, to answer LB's question, about how we would define biological versus artificial life. Mm -hmm. I think based on what we've been saying, it's about the ability to convincingly have humanity. So I would say it's honestly, that's why the Turing test is a pretty good test that people always go to when they talk about artificial life, because 
you know, you could have something that's made of complete machine or complete biological substrate, but if it's artificially made and it doesn't behave like a human, humans aren't going to treat it the same, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, so. I agree. And, and you're kind of, uh, um, we're answering this in the, within the context of Blade Runner, which I think is the the best thing for us to be doing. It's the most careful thing we can be doing because we're already talking about this for much longer than we need to. Um, but it's interesting. It's, it's such a deep well. No, no, I know. I love it. Um, but I mean, this brings up another idea of, you know, the definition of what life actually is. Uh, oh, so you're saying that first we need to define life. Yeah, shut up. Listen, <laughs> I'm not meaning to be you, but I am you. Uh but what is love, Kenan? This is, baby, don't hurt me. This is one of those things that, like, there's a thousand different opinions on what life actually is. And that principle of disagreement over something that basic is going to inform the sort of, like, plodding slow movement of what it means to be human when we when we as a society as as a species have to finally come to terms with that we have to yeah, actually right. answer that question um it's gonna be hard yeah or and this is i think one this like this is how i want to end this before we go to the ratings like because uh, it's about that time boy, 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 but boy. let's just say just very quickly before we air horn the uh, shit out of this oh, bitch okay. um I just a yes or no question and no elaboration. We can like leave the elaboration for a mailbag or something. Um, it's let's say it's 30 years from now and we have developed the ability to create sentient, self-aware, conscious life. Mm -hmm. uh, and just yes or no, simple, like uh, simple question. Uh, do we do it? Yes or no? Go. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Really? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. My answer is no. Hey, I'm a fucking scientist. Wow, out of like all the people who, uh, in the, on this podcast, who I thought would have like jumped at an opportunity to play God, I didn't think it that it wouldn't be you. To be honest. <laughs> <laughs> hey, no elaboration. My answer is no. Okay. I guess we're in the ratings. We're here. We're here. We've arrived. I have. I've been enjoying so much hearing uh, Pace's voice for the past couple of minutes. Uh, that I would really like Sean to do the ratings first. Well, I can do that. Okay. Um, okay. Science for this movie. Energy. Uh, this, uh, oh God, this is really fucking tough. So the science in the movie is non-existent. Mm -hmm. If I was going straight off science in the movie, I would give it a zero because there's one scene where there's some science jargon and it's all made up words. Yep. Um, but I don't think that Blade Runner deserves to be rated that way. I'm going to rate it based on the, some of the philosophical scientific concepts discussed as far as artificial life, creating artificial life, like mm -hmm. what it means to be alive and stuff like that. So I'm going to give it like, I don't know. Uh, let's go five out of 10. I'm going to give it a five out of 10 right wow. in the middle. All and right. that is because bold. I, I think they present some interesting questions. Like they, it's a very thought provoking movie, right? Like you think, what is it like to sure. be a replicant? Like do these things deserve to be hunted? Like it seems bad because they look like humans, but how human like are they? They're also killing other humans with little regard for it and stuff like that. So only because this movie has no actual science presented in it, I'm giving it... You know what? I'll give it a 4 out of 10 for that science jargon bullshit. I'm going to knock it down a point. Yeah, yeah, So thank it's a you. 4 out thank of 10. Thank you very much. Um, Entertainment-wise... 2 out of 5. No. Entertainment-wise... Uh, I'm going to give it, like, a 9 out of 10. I really like hmm. this movie a wow. lot. But that's with the caveat that... I finally fucking understood some shit that I didn't catch because this is the mm -hmm, fourth mm -hmm. time I've watched it. So yeah. I'd say the first time I'd give it a seven out of 10 and then an eight out of 10 and then a nine out of a 10. <laughs> so <laughs> I like it more and more every time I watch it. So anyways, that's my rant about okay. the ratings. Yeah. Okay. What about you, Pace? Um, yeah, I think that I will give the movie in regards to the science a, uh, a two out of five, barely. Mm -hmm. I mean... Uh, I thought the, the the Voigt comp test was probably the most thing, the most like uh, reminiscent thing of, of actual science that they did in the movie. To be honest, like an actual experiment um, that would be similar to something done today. 
Um, and then, yeah, I mean, yeah I, for everything Sean said, I, I did think they did a cool job representing artificial intelligence and what it might look like and the issues it will bring up in the future. Um, but it's not, it's not hard to do that necessarily. We know what the questions will be, but they do, they do do a decent job in portraying that. So uh, two out of five for the entertainment. I'm just going to give it a three out of five. Um, it's, I think this movie is considered a classic. It's good. Um, but I think it's, I think it's probably overrated for what it is. Um, it's, it's not, I guess it is, it is very highly thought provoking. Um, but it's not like, it's not super engaging or enthralling or exciting in my opinion. It's just another AI movie in my opinion. That's fair. Interesting. I mean, I think also this movie is pretty renowned for its cinematography, um, which yeah, like sure. a lot of movies like shit like Citizen Kane where, you know, people kind of think it's boring sometimes. Like people like the the movies are also classic because of the filmography that went into it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I thought it was kind of boring to be honest at I, times. I honestly think so. the first time I watched Blade Runner, I was like, oh, I kind of wish there was more dialogue, like more plot. Yeah. But yeah. Because it really isn't that much. No, there really isn't. But like watching it now, I actually really appreciated looking at the details a lot more. Yep. Because I didn't feel like I had to... Like you have to pay attention to this movie because there's no dialogue. You do, yes. You have to fucking Mm -hmm. watch everything. But I don't know. I think it it really has grown on me. So, Kenan, what do you think? That's fair. I'm going to rapid fire this because we got to wrap up soon. Uh, If I can stop burping. Holy shit. Uh, so as far as the science goes, I'm going to give it a two out of five. I don't want to give it a one out of five because I don't feel like it deserves that. Two out of five, it does a good job of, at the very least, using a lot of standards like sci-fi tenets that have eventually actually become real science. But I'm very excited about giving it that two out of five for the exact same reason that you mentioned, that there is just a huge block of science bullshit that gets spewed in the middle of the movie. Yeah. As far as entertainment mm-hmm. goes... I want to break it up into two different things. As far as entertainment, I actually give this movie, I would give this movie like a three out of five or a two out of five. Like the movie is, it is good, but it is not an amazing movie. And I think the, as a movie itself, if I were to watch this now, I, and you mentioned this a little bit, I would be like, eh, I mean, it's interesting, but I'm going to give it as far as cultural impact, a five out of five, because this is like one of the most impactful movies that has ever been made. And it's influenced sci-fi media for, for fucking ever. That's true. So yeah, that's I, mean, true. I don't think we would have gotten total recall without this movie. So oh, man, I fucking love total recall. It's based off of another Philip K. Dick mo- novel, my dude. So is it called get your ass to Mars? It's, by Philip K. Dick? <laughs> it, yes, it is. Yeah, 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 yeah. Perfect. Well, cool. What All ab- right. What about questions? All right. Well, that's the question. Do you uh, uh, do do you want to? We have a couple more questions, but the question is: Should we save them for a mailback episode soon? All right. How about this, guys? Let's read. uh, LB sent us a bunch of questions. Um, Let's read one more, and then we'll save the other ones for the mailbag episode. Okay. Hit me with it. Okay. So, lunchbox Justin Waterfield, friend of the show, asks us: Theoretically, could androids be created to create biological offspring? I can answer this very easily. Uh, are the androids made out of a wholly biological material? They can be made of whatever you want, Kenan. Then if they're, they're like androids. if they're like the androids in this movie that are like described as basically indistinguishable indistinguishable from humans, then yes, because they would just fucking be humans. So, yeah, I mean, it, it like in this movie, the level of detail that they make organisms, like the fact that they're just making snakes, making humans, Mm -hmm. you'd think that you would be able to replicate the reproductive organs also. Um, So in the context of this movie, yeah. In the context of real life, like the way we make artificial intelligence is computerized. Mm -hmm. So I don't think we could do that. Like we don't have fully biological artificial intelligence because... We wouldn't define that as artificial intelligence if it was fully biological. Maybe we need to read us. We need to redefine what creating new life is because if we make, I think it's a really good idea. If we make robots that are uh, entirely self-sufficient and they're sentient, and we consider them, you know, not biologically alive, but you know, mechanically alive, maybe having babies is just the robots making more robots, and then we've got the Matrix. Exactly. 
I I would say life really quick that um, <laughs> life does find a way. And if in the context of the movie, if they had the technology to to recreate the human brain or the quote unquote human brain to the degree of intelligence that these robots have, I don't think they're going to have any issue recreating the human re- reproductive system yep. um, in the same being. Yeah, so. except that they can't make them live longer than four years, God, which I seems don't... kind of crazy. Like, <laughs> well, that that was that was for a that was for that was not because they couldn't do it is because they they wanted to limit their lifespan on. No, people. he he literally right. says in the movie, "We made you yeah. as well as we could." Right. Yeah. Like that's the thing is like it's presented in the beginning like it's a fail safe, but they literally say it's a fail safe. Yes. But yes. then when he's interacting with Doctor fucking what's his name Tyrell, yeah, or true. He true. says like we can't make you better because that's the best we can do. So, which is they make it, which is completely contradictory yeah. to what the movie opens up with, yeah. but it is, yeah, also makes no sense. All right, boys, thank you very much for the questions. Uh, Justin Waterfield, yes, thanks, Justin, friend, friend of, the of the show. Um, what are we watching? What are we watching next time? We are going to be watching Elysium, yeah, we are finally, which is a 2013 Matt Damon. movie. It is indeed a 2013 movie with Matt Damon, who. I don't know. I never watched it. I assume it's like the sequel to District 9 or something. I have seen Elysium basically for like a one sentence plot description. Um, they basically separate society based on people who live in Elysium, which is like a utopian Upper world, class. and mm-hmm. then Earth, which is like a dysutopian world. Okay. So like there's medical advances that people can deal with and not have on Earth. Hell Shit yeah. Shit like that. So, Tune in in two weeks to hear it. Yeah, for sure. Well, so this episode, uh, as you loyal listeners remember, is going to come out on the 24th of April. We're going to be recording Elysium on the 1st, so get us your questions before that. Uh, and then that episode will come out on the 8th of May. So, yeah, hell yeah. Where can folks send us questions? Yes. Well, they can send their questions to realsciencecast, that's R-E-E-L, sciencecast at gmail.com. They can also tweet at realsciencecast or... If you'd like, post your questions on the Facebook page. Oh, That's yeah. Real Science Cast on Facebook. Absolutely. And I will try again to remember to put something on Instagram, and then you can comment under the post uh, when we yeah. put out the call for questions. Yes, please. Yeet. Mm-hmm. Anything else? Yort. Thanks to Otis McDonald for the use of his song Third Eye Blimp as the intro and outro of our show. Hell yeah, baby. It is, and thanks, it's really good. Thanks to all the patrons and listeners for continuously supporting our show. And, uh, you know, if you get the chance, maybe tell a friend about the podcast. If you like it, maybe they'll like it. It's really the best way we have to grow our listener base because we don't advertise for the show currently. Mm-hmm. Um, please. And it just correct. really helps us spread the word. Please, please tell your friends. We really, really like doing this podcast and we're excited people like to listen to it. So we want to yeah. spread that far and wide. Agreed. Hell yeah, boys. All right. My name's Kenneth Smith. My name is Sean Crossan. I'm Michael Pace. You Stay don't need science. good science. <laughs> you don't they need, need classy, good, to classy to make a good make science. Good, you, don't need, you, don't, you don't need robots to make a good human, but it sure makes it. Harrison Ford. Human? <laughs> Question mark? Is it human? Oh, my God. We're we so tired. This out Next yet? time tired. on The Real Science Cast. Patriot Games. Oh yeah, Barbara is the type of great. But no, it's Barbara. Barbara. He's an elephant. Barbara. Sean, can you do it in your natural Italian? Barbara. Oh wow, <laughs> that was really good. Now, Pace, can you say something in your German accent? I'm not German. I don't know what you. I'm. I'm kind of German. But what would you like me to say? Well, can you say it kind of German then? <laughs> uh, say what? Anything. Uh, uh, say Sesame Street in kind of German. Uh, Sesame Strasse. <laughs> All right. Yeah, that was that was kind of German. You're right. <laughs> I honestly am not very good at doing a stereotypical German accent. No, I hate that's the point. So it was perfect. It was okay. kind of German. Case, okay. You did a kind of German as best as you possibly could. <laughs> Thank you. Nailed it. It definitely wasn't German, but it was kind oh of German. God. Oh, God. Oh. Whew. I hope everyone else finds that as funny as you and I did. <laughs> <laughs> Crikey. Uh.